think we'll give um, Daryl two minutes notice next time. He's doing such a good job. That's great. Thanks, buddy. Great reminder that um, that the simple things in Scripture are simple, and yet putting them into practice are sometimes pretty difficult. And it's a great lead up for the church that we're going to look at today because uh, this church was was a church that just did things the right way. When Jesus wrote to them and uh, he commended them for their faith and their holiness and their purity. And there's not a lot in this letter. It's one of the standout features of it that, that because they were doing things right, there wasn't a list of complaints or grievances or things that they needed to correct. Jesus just said, this is the way it should be. There wasn't a lot to say. So we've been going through a series of letters to the churches in Revelation, which was the country of Turkey, uh, right back in the first century. And um, the apostle John, God gave him a vision. He was writing particular messages to each of these individual churches. We've been working our way through. We've done Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and now we're up to Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia. And um, these churches were all mixed up. Some of them were doing great things. Some of them were in peril. Some of them were very disobedient. There was a really mixed bag of churches. The church at Ephesus, the first one, was really active, very busy, lots happening, but there was no love in what they were doing. They'd lost their love for the Lord. They'd lost their love for one another. The second church was Smyrna, and it was being persecuted. Very small church, but these people stayed faithful in the midst of horrible opposition, and Jesus said to them, well done. The next church, Pergamum, was very permissive and very tolerant, and Jesus came along and said, listen, you've compromised the truth. You've got to come back to the truth, and uh, it was a pretty strong letter. The next church was strong as well, the church at Thyatira, because they'd uh, got into all sorts of sexual immorality, and their doctrines all got confused, and same thing. Jesus came and said, listen, you've got to clean up your act, or I'm going to come, and I'm going to sort it out. And then the church that Linda walked us through was the church at Sardis, and it was, had a reputation for being alive, a buzz church. You know, everyone in the community knew who they were, knew what they were doing, and Jesus said, but, but you're dead. How tragic is that, to be a group of people that think you're on fire for God, and yet God comes and says, well, actually, it's not that way. You're dead. You're doing a lot, but it's not pleasing in my sight. That, that, that's a letter you don't want to get. And today we're going to look at the church at Philadelphia. And I, I want to call this church the Just Do It Church, the Nike Church. Because they did. They just did it. It's as simple as that. They just did it. I don't know whether you know where that slogan comes from, Just Do It. There was a guy on death row called Gary Gilmore. And they were about to inject him with the lethal injection. And, uh, and you know the guy that was about to press the button said, Gary, are you ready? And he just yelled out with some sort of sinister, macabre laugh, <laughs> just do it. And that became a famous statement in the States and Nike grabbed that and made that their slogan. But yeah, but there is some truth in it. We should sometimes just do it. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make 
them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious I will make like a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my Father. And I will also write on them a new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Church of Philadelphia. The interesting thing is that there were two good churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. If you go to modern Turkey today, the only two cities that are left are Smyrna and Philadelphia. They're the only two churches that have a Christian witness. In fact, Philadelphia has a vibrant church. So there's some sense of, you know, the pattern of history that because this church was faithful and true, God has honoured that for years and years to come. And the city of Philadelphia was founded by a king called Attalus. And Attalus had this incredible love for his brother. And so that's how the city got its name, brotherly love, Philadelphia, which is the same as the city in, in the States. But the interesting thing about this, this um, town called Philadelphia was it was nicknamed Little Athens because they wanted to reproduce a city in Turkey that was just like Athens for the purpose of reproducing pagan worship. So the city was actually built with the mission mindset to paganize the rest of the world. And it was the gateway to all the east, so it was a pretty strategic place. And I think Jesus knew that. He knew that it was a a place where this church, because of their integrity and their truth, could also be a missionary church and be a witness right throughout um, that area of Turkey. A couple of things that are really important for you to understand. This city had big pillars down both sides of the main street. And what the king would do was if he wanted to um, honor somebody, he would put a new pillar in the street and he would put the name of the citizen on that street. Now, when we get to what Jesus says to them, he talks about pillars and writing new names on it. So this was very strategic for the geographic things that had happened in that place. And we'll also notice a little bit further down that um, Jesus said they'll never have to leave, which seems to be a strange statement. But this was a city renowned for earthquakes. They were used to fleeing. You know, they had year after year after year, they had earthquakes. And at any given time, they were ready just to run to the hills to escape uh, getting crushed by buildings and things like that. So as Jesus writes to them, he actually picks up some of the features that they would well know and puts a spiritual context on them to the angel of the church in philadelphia write these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of david what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open i know your deeds see i've placed before you an open door that no one can shut in every one of these letters jesus says something about himself first he says i am the holy and the true one And the beautiful thing about that is is what Jesus says about him is reflected in the church that he's writing to. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? (laughs) But isn't it beautiful that um, Jesus can say, I am the holy and true one, 
and my church is holy and true as well. Beautiful statement, beautiful um, encouragement to this church that they were a God-honoring group of people. And then Jesus goes on to talk, talk about that uh, he holds the key of David. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus had the key to David's place. It doesn't quite work like that. But it's a reference back to Isaiah chapter 22. There was a, an official in the temple called Shebna, and he was corrupt and he was a, a wicked man. And God comes and says, I'm going to remove him. And I'm going to put in his place Eliakim, the man called Eliakim. And he will have the key of David. And that was a pretty significant thing to give to the, the temple administrator because it gave him an all-access pass to everything. He had great authority, great influence, but he also had the key of David, which meant he had the key to the treasury. He could go into the coffers and he could take the money and distribute it as ever he wants. So it's like this all-access pass. And I think Jesus is just reminding this church, hey, there's nothing that I can't be involved in. If I want to be involved in it, I'll open the door. If I want to not be involved in it, I can shut the door. And that principle implies in our life, like God has supreme authority. He's someone that we need to sit up and take notice of. And whatever he wants, he can get it. And I think that principle is great for our lives. In our journey through life, we're always saying, Lord, which door do you want me to walk through? Which way do you want me to go? This is a biblical principle. You can say, Lord, shut the door. If it's not the way you want me to go, shut it. Or if it is the way that you want it to go, Lord, open it. And you know when God opens that door, no man's going to shut it. But if he shuts that door, don't try and push it down. You know, So we've got Mel going through uni at the moment. She's thinking about what comes in the future and she's not sure what to do. So we've said, knock on every door and ask God to shut the ones he doesn't want you to go through and open the one that he does. And I think it's a great thing to hang on to. And we, you know, so many times in our life we get to a point where we're really not sure. Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask him to open the door that's just the one that's right for you. So when we think about open doors right through the New Testament, Paul often talks about, you know, pray that God will open doors for our ministry. And it's always a ministry context. And I think what Jesus was trying to get this church to, to understand was, I've put a door before this church. There's an opportunity for there. You need to seize it. And I think they were a missionary church. I think they were sending people out all the time. People would come into this city that was a gateway to the east. They would witness to them. They'd get saved and then they'd send them out. So it was a missionary center. These guys were, you know, equipping, training, releasing people out, and they had an incredible opportunity as a church. Isn't that great when Jesus says, listen, Catalyst, I've got an open door for you. Walk through it. Walk through the door. We don't have to wrestle them with the resources and the hows and the whys and the whens because Jesus is going to say, walk that way. Just go through that door. I think the danger is, is when we try to, to push doors open that God's saying, hang on a minute, I didn't want you to go that way. And we get into trouble when we go through the wrong doors. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And that's a personal statement. 
and it's a, a, a statement of vindication. So this church had two big obstacles in front of them. The first one was that they had little strength. Historically, what the uh, the scholars say is this: this was a small church, probably twenty people, not a big church, and yet they had an incredible influence for God. But they were weary, and they didn't have a lot of resources. And so, when they looked at themselves, they saw the inadequacies, and the you know they saw all the reasons at times. Well, Lord, how can we do this? And yet, God was saying, "I know you've got little strength, but." You're thinking the wrong way. Think about who's sending you. Who is it? And he says, the antidote for little strength is to be obedient to God's word and stay loyal to his name. You remember back in the Old Testament, there was a young man called Gideon and God went to Gideon and said, Gideon, you great and mighty man of valor. And Gideon went, who, me? And God said, yeah, you, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to do this. And he was like, no, but I'm the weakest man in my tribe and my clan is the smallest clan in the tribe. Like he had this list of excuses. And, and, and God turned to Gideon and said, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Now, sometimes we don't have a lot of strength. And then Jesus put, God puts this beautiful statement after that. He says, Gideon, go in the strength that you have because I'm sending you. It's not about your strength. It's about being available to God and he'll come through. So go in the strength that you have. And I think the beautiful witness of this church is that even though they were small, that, that God is saying to them this incredible spiritual principle, God does not measure success by numbers. He doesn't measure success by how big the ministry is. He measures success by fidelity, how faithful we are. So you can be a huge church with lots of pastors and lots of stuff happening, but God's not impressed by that. He's impressed by, are we faithful? Are we simply being obedient? I remember in Sunday school learning a song, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's so simple. And that's the beauty of this church. They got it. They were doing the right things the right way. And God was saying, well done. Well done for your simple faith. Even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of a pagan city, you're staying true and you're staying loyal. And then they had this bunch of people on their doorstep all the time, the people that thought that they were standing for God, the Jewish people who were just trying to tear down Christianity, making life miserable. In all the churches in this region, they were doing that. And God said, listen, no matter what they throw at you, I'm going to vindicate you. They're actually going to come and they're going to sit at your feet and they're going to acknowledge that we were wrong, that you were right. God loves you. What a great vindication, isn't it? You know, sometimes we, we get into conflict and we want to justify ourselves and we want to go and explain ourselves and we want to set things right. And I think this teaches us just let God do it. Just get on with simple obedience, being faithful, and God will vindicate us somewhere. The other thing that it tells me is if that God is moving in your life, there's going to be opposition. It's just hand in hand. 
if uh, we desire to be a church that's pushing the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God, being on the cutting edge, then it's going to happen. It's inevitable that someone's going to get upset out there or in here or somewhere. Opposition's going to rise up. And it's not like a badge of honour, but we should just be aware that at times, as we step out, the enemy's going to come. He's going to put something in our way to discourage us or make us despair or look at the obstacles, but we've got to stay faithful. Um, an interesting thing that one of the one of the commentators said, it was like in the midst of the darkness of this city, this church was a light. And the moment you turn a light on, boom, all the bugs come. And that's sort of what happened. They were standing for truth and integrity and every bit of opposition knew who they were and they wanted to tear them down. But God was bigger than that. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. So hold on to what you have so that no one will ever take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make like a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my Father, and I will also write on them my new name. So what Jesus is saying to them is that, listen, you guys are being faithful and obedient, and uh, you're going to get rewarded, but you're going to have to hold fast. Like this is this is not just lasting for a week. It's not lasting for a month. Like this is until I come. This is your motto, hold fast. Because when you're doing things right and God's pleased, the only other way to go is to blow it, isn't it? Like the only thing that they could do wrong from here was forfeit what they already had. Like they were going great. And sometimes that's a bit scary when things are going great because you know the only place to go is the wrong way. And Jesus was saying, listen, hang on because you've got a crown coming. You've got a reward coming. And you've earned it. Don't blow it. Hold fast. Stay true to your faith. Keep keep going. And I will reward you. You know, the scripture talks about the doors of salvation. They already had that, but God was saying, I'm going to open doors for you that will spare you from the coming wrath of God. I don't want to get deep into theology today, but I think what Jesus was saying to them is that there's going to come a time on the earth where there's going to be great tribulation, but I'm going to spare you from that. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to give you grace and mercy because of your faithfulness. So don't forfeit your crowns. Stay true. And then this idea of, of I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. I mean, they knew that in the natural realm. They knew that in their city there'd be these great ceremonies and great parades and the king would come and say, Daryl, you're such a great citizen in this city and everyone would... You know, love Daryl, he'd be the flavor of the month. And they'd put the pillar up and they'd put Daryl Hargraves on there. And he, he was a, you know, he was a celebrated person in that community. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that for you guys personally. When you walk the streets of gold, there's going to be a pillar with your name on it for your faithfulness. It was, will be a testimony for all time, for eternity, that you were faithful and true. What a, what a great, what a great reward to know that that's what was coming for them. Hold on until I come. You know, really interesting thing, that Philadelphia and Smyrna are the only two towns that withstood the onslaught 
of the Muslim faith coming down through Turkey and just wiping Christianity out almost. But if you go to Philadelphia today, there are Christian churches there. There's a strong, bold Christian presence in that town. And I think that's, that, that's an incredible thing that they withstood, that onslaught of pagan religion. So there's not a lot to say because they just did it. They did it the right way. They did it God's way. And, and, and I don't want to belittle that because I think that obedience is an incredible thing. Complete obedience. Remember back in the Old Testament, Saul, King Saul, thought that he was being obedient and he had this great worship time and set up all these sacrifices for God and, and yet he wasn't being totally obedient. And the prophet came to him and said, no, God requires obedience, not just sacrifice. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. It's better just to do the simple things and do them right and do them God's way. That's, that's the measure of success that God is looking for. And let's face it, isn't that our struggle? Just being obedient to the simple things of God's word, not lying, not gossiping, not slandering, you know, what? just the simple things that scripture goes, here they are, here's God's standard, here's his ethics, here's his principles that we should live by. That's our struggle, just to be obedient in the little things. And that's the challenge of this church. You'd love to get a letter like that, wouldn't you? Well done good and faithful servants, holy and true. What a great standard to uh, for us just to be people of obedience. You know, one of the frustrations as a parent is trying to get your kids to do the right thing. I don't know if you've experienced that. And sometimes in your frustration, you just go, just do it. Just do it the right way the first time. Like, please, it's so simple when you do it right. And there's not the aftermath. There's not the repercussions. There's not the discipline. It's just, just do it the right way the first time. And I think that's sometimes what God does with us. It's like, please, haven't I shown you? Just do it right. Be obedient. And then life's easy or easier, I should say. Life was never meant to be easy. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, Lord, just a simple message, I guess, in, in many ways, with simple truths about walking in holiness and purity and being faithful in the little things. Lord, thank you for this church that uh, in the midst of a, an incredibly pagan environment, Father, they, they were loyal to the name of Jesus Christ. They were faithful to your word. They stood by the principles of Scripture. Lord, isn't it great that you could take a one look at this church and know who they stood for, the one who was holy and true? Father, that's a, that's a challenge for us as, uh, as you look into our lives. Are we holy and true? As you assess this church and, and, and what we're about, Father, are we a people of holiness? Are we a people of purity? Are we entangled in things that the world says is okay, but your simple word says no? That's the challenge, Father, for us to, to be obedient to you and your word and your principles. And Father, you've set it up for, for us like, like we do as parents, that there's wisdom in what you ask us to do. You're sparing us 
from the pitfalls of life when we walk by your commands. So, Father, help us to do that. Christianity sometimes is all wrapped up with, with great fanfare, and yet, Lord, when we boil it all down, it's just about being like this little church, faithful in the things that are day in, day out, every day, sort of mundane things, but they keep us in line with you. They reflect who you are, and they reflect the call that you have on our lives to set a standard. Father, I pray that we would be like this church, that we would be a light that shines and that the enemy might seek to come and tear us down and and destroy us. But Lord, I know when you open doors, no man can shut them. And Father, I just continue to pray that you would show to us as a church the doors that you want us to open, individually and corporately, that Father, you would have us individually working in some way in the life of this church to to give our best to you, to utilize the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you pour into our lives so that we can be a blessing to this community and beyond this four walls of the church into this corridor, into this community. Father, we want to pour out a presence of God. We want to pour out hope. We want to offer faith. But, Lord, we need to stand in righteousness and truth and holiness first to be a reflection of who you are so that when people look at us, all they do is see you, really. Father, what a challenge. Would you call us holy and true today? Father, I just pray that you continue to to draw us into that place individually and corporately as a church where we really are reflection of a living God who is righteous, who is pure and holy and loving and merciful and gracious. Lord, there's so much about your character that we admire. Lord, teach us and train us to be just like you. Lord, we want to trust and obey because there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. And Lord, we see it. We see it in people's lives when they when they trust and obey. They are. They're happy. There's a there's a lightness in their spirit. The world looks different because they know that they're walking in the truth of God. Father, help us to teach our kids that. Help us to model it ourselves. Help us to model it as a church. And Father, pour out your spirit upon our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Rusty, come on up, mate. How much notice did I give you? Okay. <laughs>